ECA Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello, and welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Cynthia Roberts. The Hoosier chapter of the Sierra Club issued a report grading Indiana legislators according to their votes for or against various environment related bills. Nearly two thirds of the legislators received a D or F, including the chairs of the House and Senate Environmental Affairs Committees. Among the 150 or so state legislators, the average grade was a D plus. Just one third of them earned a C or above. Wendy Breadhold of Sierra Club said their frustration with the legislature's inaction has been increasing for years, but peaked during this legislative session. The legislature's inaction is particularly galling because Indiana is ranked often among the nation's most polluted states. Indiana releases the third most chemicals and pollutants per square mile of any state. EPA data reveal that pollution poses a higher risk to public health in Indiana than in most other states. Indiana is one of the worst states for carbon pollution, and a recent report showed that the state has the most dirty waterways in the U.S. The legislators in action, according to the Indiana Star, quote, means bills related to lead and PFAS or PFAS in drinking water, coal ash contamination, radon in schools, septic system pollution, inspections of farm of factory farms, and climate change solutions were dead in the water. End quote. Hoosiers are much more progressive about the environment than are their state representatives and senators. For example, an Audubon Society survey found recently that 78% of Hoosiers think the climate crisis is a threat. In today's feature report on redlining and survival, IER reporter Enrique Sands describes the results of environmental hazards in previously redlined communities. That's coming up later in the program, but first we would like to talk to you about the WFHB Spring fun drive. And just to start off, I want to give you our phone number, which is 812-323-1200. You can also go online and hit the red donate button. But Cindy Belay is at the front desk waiting to take your call. Yeah, we have a goal today of about $200. Just wanted to like uh, thank all of our Eco Report listeners uh, to remind you that we do have a drive goal of $48,000, and that is extremely important for us to reach because there's the Corporation for Public Broadcast funding that we could receive if we reach that goal of $300,000. And we would like to continue to be able to do this show and many other shows that you enjoy. Cynthia, don't you have something special you want to talk about? I do, as a matter of fact. Uh, we have a special premium for the first person who pledges at the $40 level or above, 
and that is a pair of tickets to the Trash and Refashion Show that takes place this Sunday at 7 p.m. at the Buskirk Chumley Theater. So uh, call in, and uh, if you pledge 40 or more, uh, Cindy will take your information and you, you know, run you right through it. And just one other premium that's available, if you pledge $100, there's also a real nifty WFHB logo on a water bottle. Yeah, and it's made out of metal. It's not plastic. Last week's show was all about plastics, and so I was really worried that maybe the bottle was going to be made of plastic, but it's not. It's made out of metal, so that would be very important for you to get one of those bottles. <laughs> right, but you can go to wfhb.org or call Cindy at 812-323-1200, and we greatly appreciate your support and your listenership. Yeah, that's true. You know, you can also walk in. You can have to bang on the door because it's locked. But <laughs> if you bang on the door, somebody will answer the door and you can make your donation right here in the office. That's We've another great way to do it. Well, <laughs> thank you very much. As reported in the Seymour newspaper, the Tribune, the Lake Monroe Water Fund, recently hired Michelle Cohen as its executive director, the organization's first employee. The organization is the first water fund in Indiana and only one of approximately 48 worldwide, according to a news release from the board president, Jane Martin. Martin said the fund provides an innovative way for downstream water users to invest in conservation activities upstream to protect and restore the Lake Monroe watershed. It is based on a new kind of model for sustaining watersheds that the Nature Conservancy employed with its first water fund in Quito, Ecuador in 2000 and is replicating across the globe. Cohen brings 12 years of experience heading other environmental entities to the role, first as the Brown County Solid Waste Management District Manager and subsequently as the Executive Director of the Indiana Recycling Coalition, now dubbed Circular Indiana. She graduated magna cum laude from Wittenberg University and then came to Bloomington where she earned a Master's of Science in Environmental Science from the O'Neill School for Public and Environmental Affairs at Indiana University. According to the Center for Biological Diversity, quote, besides being cornerstones of biodiversity, old forests on federal lands play an essential role in fighting climate change. Mature and old growth trees capture vast amounts of carbon pollution, storing it for decades while living and even after their natural deaths if they are left in the forest, end quote. In the name of forest management and restoration thinning, the federal government routinely chops those trees down instead of protecting them. Logging immediately releases into the environment the carbon that those trees store. Only a small fraction of the carbon that living trees store exists in wood products over the long term. The carbon that logging releases is irrecoverable on any timescale relevant to avoiding the worst impacts of the climate crisis. Old forests are critical to biodiversity and are home to endangered wildlife, including grizzly bears and spotted owls. Old trees mitigate flooding, help produce clean water, and are relatively resistant to wildfires. Despite all these benefits and more, the U.S. Congress massively increased funding for logging across 30 million acres of federal forest. That includes commercial logging that targets large old trees. Living forests shouldn't be seen as board feet of lumber. It's up to the agriculture and interior departments to ban 
not fund the logging of old forests and to create policies to protect them. A new invasive ant species is described in a report by the North Carolina Extension Office. This is an ant with a powerful sting. Though first reported in the United States in the early 1930s, the ant, commonly known as the Asian needle ant, has only been recognized as a pest here since 2006. Native to Asia, this introduced ant has now been documented in the Evansville area, as well as Alabama, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, Connecticut, and New York. This species is an unusual pest because unlike pest ants such as the fire ant and the Argentine ant associated with areas that have been disturbed by human activity, the Asian needle ant is able to nest in both disturbed and natural areas like forest. This ant has been found in various settings from school cafeterias to residential lawns to logs in state and national parks. The Asian needle ant poses a triple threat to humans. First, its venomous sting is painful and on average somewhat more likely to cause an allergic reaction than the venom in a honeybee sting. As a result, people allergic to insect stings should take special care to avoid stings when in an Asian needle ant infested area. The second emerging impact posed by the Asian needle ant is its ability to infest homes. Their colonies are much smaller in population size than more commonly recognized house pest ants like the Argentine ant or the odorous house ant. However, the Asian needle ant has increasingly been found pilfering food from school cafeterias and residential kitchens. While having ants crawling on food is a nuisance, the primary threat is the increased likelihood of being stung. Asian needle ants prey on termites and other insects. The third and potentially greatest negative impact posed by the Asian needle ant is its potential to devastate a natural environment by excluding native ant species and termites. Our native ants play essential roles in maintaining the status quo of the forest ecosystem, and Asian needle ants either directly eat them, consume their food, or take over their nest sites. When the Asian needle ant eliminates the native species or reduces their abundance, many roles like seed dispersal and predation of forest pests are left unfilled. For the first time, scientists have found microplastics in human blood. They detected the minuscule particles in nearly 80% of the people tested, as reported in the journal Environment International. Quote, plastic production is set to double by 2040. We have a right to know what all this plastic is doing to our bodies, end quote, commented Joe Royal, founder of the organization Common Seas. The finding confirms that microplastic particles can travel throughout the body and might lodge in organs but the health impacts are as yet unknown. In the laboratory, microplastics damage human cells. Before this research came to light, it was already known that humans were consuming microplastics in their food and water, besides inhaling them. Microplastics have been detected in the feces of babies and adults and were 10 times higher in babies' feces as compared to adults. Babies fed with plastic bottles are ingesting millions of microplastic particles each day. Of the samples the scientists studied, half contained PET plastic, which is used in beverage bottles. A third contained polystyrene, better known by the trade name styrofoam, used for packaging food and other goods. A quarter of the samples contained polyethylene, which plastic bags are made of. 
So far, no one knows whether microplastics can affect human cells in such a way as to cause cancer. As one of the researchers said, given the exponential increase in plastic production, the problem is more urgent with each passing day. A New York Times story illuminates how Joe Manchin sacrificed the environment to become rich. On a hilltop overlooking Paw Paw Creek, 15 miles south of the Pennsylvania border, looms a forestress-like structure with a single smokestack, the only viable business in a dying Appalachian town. The Grant Town Power Plant is also the link between the coal industry and the personal finances of Joe Manchin III, the Democrat who rose through state politics to reach the United States Senate where through the vagaries of electoral politics, he is now the single most important figure shaping the nation's energy and climate policy. Manchin's ties to Grant Town plant date back to 1987, when he had just been elected to West Virginia Senate, a part-time job with a base pay of $6,500. His family carpet business was struggling. Opportunity arrived in the form of two developers who wanted to build a power plant in Grant Town, just outside Manchin's district. Manchin, whose grandfather went to work in the mines at age nine and whose uncle died in a mining accident, helped the developers clear bureaucratic hurdles. Then he did something beyond routine constituent services. He went into business with the Grant Town power plant. Manchin supplied a type of low-grade coal mixed with rock and clay called gob that is typically cast aside as junk by mining companies but can be burned to produce electricity. In addition, he arranged to receive a slice of the revenue from electricity generated by the plant, electric bills paid by his constituents. The deal inked decades ago has made Manchin now 74, a rich man. While the fact that Manchin owns a coal business is well known, an examination by the New York Times offers a more detailed portrait of the degree to which Manchin's business has been interwoven with his official actions. He created his business while a state lawmaker in anticipation of the Grant Town plant, which has been the sole customer for his gob for the past 20 years, according to federal data. At key moments over the years, Manchin used his political influence to benefit the plant. He urged a state official to approve its air pollution permit, pushed fellow lawmakers to support a tax credit that helped the plant, and worked behind the scenes to facilitate a rate increase that drove up revenue for the plant and electricity costs for West Virginians. Records show that several energy companies have held ownership stakes in the power plant, major corporations with interests far beyond West Virginia. At various points, those corporations have sought to influence the Senate, including legislation, before committees on which Manchin sat, creating what ethics experts describe as a conflict of interest. Well, Juliana, we are in our fun drive, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, The number to call is 812-323-1200. You can also go online at wfhb.org. Cindy Belay is out there ready to take your call. I did notice that the phone lines, we can't hear a phone in here, (laughs) but we see a phone and there was a light on. So hopefully we've had some supporters. Hopefully, Uh, I do want to reiterate that um, if no one has yet pledged at the $40 level, which Cindy (laughs) can let you know when you call, um, there is or was a pair of tickets for the Trash and Refashion Show coming up Sunday evening at the Buskirk Chumley at the $40 level or above. 
You've participated in that Trash and Fashion show before, haven't As you? As a matter of fact, I've been doing that since the beginning. Are I you going to be in this one, too? I am. Do you have an outfit already made? I have three outfits entered. Uh, oh. Two will be modeled by Tonda's daughter. She used to be a DJ here a number of years ago. Yeah. And then um, I'm going to model one myself, which generally I don't like to do, but I'm going to be brave this time. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Well, I'm, I think, oh, 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 we got something. What is it? Oh, we got a... Uh, uh, oh, it's Zero Rose. Yeah. I don't have the tickets. Okay, okay. Uh, but the tickets are still available. We do extend our thank to to you, Zero Rose. Zero Rose, yeah. Yeah, he supports independent journalism and environmental coverage. So thank you so much. We appreciate yeah, your call. We do appreciate. It. Thank you. So, Cindy, what brought you to work for WFHB Radio and specifically to Eco Report? Oh well, I got started in radio back when Chad put out the call for the news and public affairs and I was still working at the time so I had to kind of tailor it around that and then during COVID I kind of pulled back I'd gotten into doing some music and I still uh, do occasionally the planetary caravan I've gone to the fifth Sunday but Eco Report I've always been interested in environmental issues so me too yep I'm a I'm a recycler so you know I hope everybody out there recycles too I think I got involved because of um being a member of the Sierra Club, and um, that was, oh gosh, over five years ago. So I've been doing this show for over five years. And one of the things that pulled me in right off the bat was how friendly everybody is here. <laughs> and the people, everybody that works here at WFHB radio station, they're your neighbors. You probably have one living right next door to you. And you're always running into people. I was at the farmer's market last summer, and somebody says, I recognize your voice. Where do I know you from? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's <laughs> it was so Because true. they said they were listening to Ego Reports. That made, yeah. me, that made me feel really good. Well, <laughs> just let us know. Give us a call at 812-323-1200. Cindy said, although we do have uh, one donor, we still have the pair of tickets available uh, for $40 for the Trash and Refashion Show Sunday. Oh, that's great. I hope I get to go. I don't know if I've got any plans yet or not. <laughs> My husband sometimes makes these plans, and I don't know about them. Alrighty. So I want to make sure you know that your gift is tax deductible, and if you give us at least $100, we have that metal water bottle that you can get and it, I guess it's a pretty cool bottle and um, th your donations whether it's uh, online or through the telephone is a secure donation and uh, just to let you know most of our donors, 50% of all of the donations that we get here at the station come from people that are listening to this to our station so we, we have so many so much variety going on with WFHB we have youth programs we have every kind of music genre that you can think of, uh, all kinds of news programs, public affairs. Uh, we have station missions about education. And one of the best things about our radio station is how much we uh, support local musicians. Oh, my goodness. We have so many musicians that come up through the ranks, and it's really important that we do that sort of thing. Do you have a favorite program that you like to listen to besides Eco Report? <laughs> <laughs> well, I like a lot of the mix shows. Uh, some um, I like better than others. Yeah. You know, it's just my taste in music. I, I really like Kathy Romy's show. Oh, yeah. Obviously, a lot of people do. She has great support. Uh, you can support us at WFHB.org or call 812-323-1200. We're so happy for your support. It's needed. We're coming towards the end and a little bit short. So please, um, 
give us a call. And yep. thanks for tuning in. Yes, thank you. Bloomington, call us. Bedford, we, we need to hear Nashville, from you. Nashville, yeah. Yeah, Ellettsville, Nashville, <laughs> we need to hear from Spencer. you. <laughs> <laughs> so hurry up. We're running out of time. <laughs> it's now time for our feature on redlining and survival. IER reporter Enrique Sands describes the results of environmental hazards in previously redlined communities. The historic practice of federal housing discrimination known as redlining has led to millions more black and Latino Americans breathing in dirtier air than white Americans over decades. That's according to a new study. The study, published in the journal Environmental Science and Technology Letters, found that redlining and other discriminatory policies have led to racially segregated communities that disproportionately exposed and continue to expose more black and Latino Americans to nitrogen dioxide and fine particulate matter from vehicles and nearby industrial sources. The study looked at the health effect of redlining in 202 U.S. cities, including several in Indiana, finding substantial intra-urban air pollution disparities historically and worse present-day local environmental quality and health outcomes. Nitrogen dioxide can irritate airways, aggravate respiratory diseases, and contributes to the development of asthma and increase the susceptibility to respiratory infections like those triggered by COVID-19. And exposure to particulate matter can cause heart attacks, decreased lung function, and premature death in people with heart or lung disease. Long-term particulate matter exposure has also been linked to an increase in the severity of COVID-19 health outcomes, including a higher mortality rate. Beginning in the 1930s, the Home Owners Loan Corporation, a federally sponsored corporation created during the New Deal, graded neighborhoods on a four-point scale. The scale was used to calculate the financial security of neighborhoods. The higher the rating, the more likely the HOLC was to grant a loan. The HOLC used discriminatory criteria to establish ratings with many neighborhoods receiving the worst grade due to the presence of black and immigrant communities or known environmental pollution sources. According to the report, HOLC agents were told that, quote, infiltration of foreign-born Negro or lower-grade population, unquote, were cause for lower grades and thus typically ineligible for federally-backed loans or favorable mortgage terms. The ratings also informed the decisions of local zoning officials who would work with businesses to place pollution sources, like industrial plants and major roadways, in the lowest-rated areas, areas often populated by people of color. The legacy of historical redlining can still be felt in Hoosier cities today, like in Indianapolis, where areas redlined in the 1930s are still zoned for industrial use. Some redlined areas still have a significant population of people of color and low-income white people today. The area of the city, including Military Park, IUPUI, Rotobush VA Medical Center, Eskenazi Hospital, and many other facilities, was given a D rating in 1937, the lowest possible, due to it being a blighted area and because of the, quote, infiltration of Negro families, namely the construction of low-cost apartments for Negroes. The site is currently a Superfund site, now known as the 0153 Groundwater Contamination Site, a plume of chlorinated volatile organic compounds near the Riverside and White River Municipal Well Fields, water sources for Indianapolis residents. To the southwest, the area known as West Indianapolis, long a manufacturing hub in the city, was redlined due to its proximity to factories, railroad yards, flood risks, and the presence of black residents and, quote, very low-class native whites. 
West Indianapolis today is surrounded by Superfund sites and federally recognized hazardous waste sites like the Southside Sanitary Landfill Superfund site, the Carter Lee Lumber Company Superfund site, the Rolls-Royce Corporation RICRA site, the Blue Lake Incorporated RICRA site, and the former General Motors Stamping Plant RICRA site. Much of West Indianapolis is zoned for commercial and industrial uses, including hazardous materials or objectionable substances, resulting in residents living next to pollution sources. Hundreds of residents live next to the Riley Tar and Chemical Corporation Superfund site, an area contaminated with arsenic, benzene, cyanide, and other harmful pollutants. The Superfund site is currently the home of the Vertelis Chemical Manufacturing Plant, which manufactures toxic pyridines and picoline and has had multiple pollutant compliance violations in the past year. In the northeast part of the city, the Martindale-Brightwood area of Indianapolis was redlined in the 1930s solely due to its large black population. The area is not currently zoned for hazardous materials, but area residents still face much lower life expectancy than other parts of the city that were not redlined. A 2021 study by researchers at Indiana University's Fairbanks School of Public Health found a large gap in life expectancy between different zip codes in the Indianapolis metro area, especially in redlined communities. Hoosiers living in redlined areas can expect on average to live at least five years less than people living in the non-redlined parts of the city. According to the researchers, people living in the Martindale-Brightwood neighborhood had a life expectancy of 68 years, the lowest in all Indianapolis metro area, including other redlined areas with a hazardous material history. Daily. And I'm Cynthia Roberts. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at Eco Report, we currently are looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To vo volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at, w at earth at wfhb.org. And now for some upcoming events. A wildflower weekend is scheduled at McCormick's Creek State Park on Friday, April 8th, Saturday, April 9th, and Sunday, April 10th. On Friday from 5 to 7 p.m., you will hike the park and some off-site secluded places. Take home plants and wildflowers, courtesy of the Friends Group. Go to the McCormick's Creek State Park website to get a detailed schedule. Nature Sounds will present an acoustic musical performance and educational nature presentation on the nature topic, wind. The wind holds a powerful influence over our senses. Come and enjoy an evening of melodic woodwind music at the Lower Cascades Park in the Sycamore Shelter on Friday, April 8th, from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m., but bring your own seating. Enjoy a runway show featuring designs made from refashioned garments and unwanted materials at the Trash and Refashion 2022 show on Sunday, April 10th at the Buskirk Chumley Theater at 7 p.m. 
The show is promoted by the Center for Sustainable Living and Plato's Closet. And just quickly, if you give us a call, since we're in Fun Drive, it's uh, 812-323-1200. I believe there is still a pair of tickets to that show available at any pledge of the $40 level or above, or you could be a sustaining member and get the tickets as well. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy, Linda Green, and Juliana Daly. Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sainz. Juliana Daly assembled the script, and Linda Green, Don Guerra, and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I am Cynthia Roberts. And this is Eco Report. And thank you for tuning in and for supporting WFHB. And Eco Report. Yes. <laughs> WFHB.org. 812 323 1200.